You're listening to a teaching from Sundown Church. We hope you encounter God through our podcast and experience freedom in your life. The question, what what are we doing here? So this started, um, I described this a couple weeks ago. But it just felt like with the kindness project, it felt like its time had come and its time had ended. And that doesn't mean that the, the kindness project, I'm wearing a kindness project shirt, the kindness project is not gone by any means. It's not disappearing. But the structure that we had it was on Wednesday nights, we would do all these projects. And for a period of time, we were so booked up, we were six months out from a project. If I got a project today, I wasn't going to get to it for six months. That's how busy we were. And it was wonderful. And we had help. Um, and that kind of began to shift, and then for a little while, for the last two, three months, it's felt more like we've been dragging the kindness project, which is a rock, up a hill. And it's just not wanting to go willingly, and I've paid a, I try to pay attention to those moments when you feel like you're forcing something to happen. That's normally not the Lord. It's never the Lord if you're having to force something to happen. That's not God. Um, he opens doors, and so paid attention to that and just began to ask him for a fresh word for Wednesday nights. Okay, if the kindness project is to end in its placement on Wednesday nights, what is to take its place? Um, what, is, what is to exist uh, in, in this place? And so, as always, God answers and he releases instructions on needing to teach prayer and worship. This, these are, when we think of prayer and worship, these are two of the most basic terms that we can think of, most foundational things that we can think of as far as Christians. Prayer and worship should be evident all across our story. Um, Philippians 4, 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything but in everything. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Romans 8, 26 says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings, too deep for words. Hebrews thirteen fifteen says, Through him, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of the lips that acknowledge his name. And Colossians three sixteen, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual psalms with thanksgivingness in your hearts to God. So this is just very obviously that was four scriptures. There are hundreds and hundreds with instruction and application to prayer and worship, specifically. But these were just a handful. It's only a small glimpse because over and over the Word of God instructs us to pray and reveals to us the nature of worship. The nature of worship. And instructs us us how to pray. One of the few times that Jesus gives specific instruction for how to do something specifically is prayer. We should pay attention to that. In all these things, he never tells us, he, he, he tells us to raise the dead, but he never says you have to do this, then this, then this, then this, then this, if you want to raise the dead. Other than be filled with the Spirit and operate in obedience, that's it, and that really covers everything. Be filled with the Spirit and operate in obedience. But with prayer, he breaks it down to give us an example, a template of what this is to look like. 
And that doesn't mean that every prayer you start needs to start like the Lord's Prayer starts. That's not what he's getting at. And if you look at that, you'll totally miss it. And we'll get into that in the weeks to come. But God instructs us, instructs us to pray and reveals the nature of worship over and over and over again throughout the Word of God. When we don't know what to do, and this is what I found throughout Scripture of, of both of these two, when we do not know what to do, when we're at a standstill, we don't know what God needs us to do, what we're supposed to do, where we're supposed to go, we should do those two things. Pray and worship. And when we know exactly what to do, we can see the next ten steps that we're to take specifically down to a T. What should we do? Pray and worship. These should be consistently and continuously evident in a Christian's walk. So why then? And this is the main question. Are we as Christians so uncomfortable with prayer and worship? It's been a question that I've been racking my brain, just entertaining that question for weeks. Why are we as Christians so uncomfortable with the two most basic things the Lord has given us that will bring about personal victory, clarity, understanding, direction, peace, joy, that will, it, it literally says, in, in a response to anxiety to pray. Do not be anxious, just pray. And it says to do it in everything. And it says about worship that those who proclaim the word of Christ, worship should be what follows. If you are Christians and you claim Jesus, worship should be a natural response that overflows out. These things are clear, and I'm not talking about musical worship. That is a piece of it, and I think it's a major piece of it, but it's a misunderstood major piece, and again, we'll get into that. But why are we as Christians so uncomfortable with prayer and worship? Is it because that we are taught so little about them? Absolutely. Absolutely. If you were to go to, to most churches, I would think, in my experience, very little is taught on prayer and fasting. Fasting is not ever talked about. And I'm guilty of this too. I can count on one hand how many times I've taught about fasting. It's not talked about at all. But it was the first thing Jesus did after His obedience and baptism. So clearly, it's important. We hold baptism, especially in this house and across the board. I mean, this is pretty common in, in, in the Baptist community, but specifically for us, we believe it to be something else. It's not necessary for salvation. It's necessary for the receiving of the fullness of the Holy Spirit. It's the first act of obedience once you receive God as your Lord and Savior and you receive Jesus Christ. Baptism is the next step. It is the first act of obedience and I don't believe that you can receive the Holy Spirit without that moment because Jesus didn't without that moment. For me, He's perfect theology. And so we believe that. But then we stop. And what is applicable of Jesus to my life, we stop at baptism then we kind of skip over this fasting, prayer and fasting portion. Then we get to the Jesus. Oh, he was so kind. He was so loving. He was so generous. He was so selfless. And then he goes off to be with the Lord 
to pray and be with the Lord on his own, and we kind of skip over those moments. And, oh, and he's teaching, and he's teaching to the masses, and, and then he goes to be with the Lord, and we kind of skip over that moment again. And we, we seem to have this trend in the Christian church, in the Western church, to kind of skip these moments where Jesus is praying and fasting. I've just noticed this trend. It's not really talked about the moments where Jesus went away to be with his Father. It's not really talked about that the first thing Jesus did in obedience before he began anything was fasting. Before his ministry began, he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. That's important. That's really important. But we've not talked about these, and the church does not talk about these, because one, we don't understand them. A lot of people don't understand it. And it's impossible to understand it without the Holy Spirit, because it's impossible to do it correctly without the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will lead you into all truth and righteousness. You can't do these things intended to take you to deeper depths of truth and righteousness without the Holy Spirit. Right? That's, and that's what fasting is. Fasting is to bring clarity and understanding and a depth into relationship with the Lord. You can't do that without the Holy Spirit. So, is it because we're taught so little about them? Absolutely. Is it because there is a worship culture that is a trend, and anything outside of that comfort, we can't worship? What did we talk about? I talked about it on Sunday when I first got here. My first Sunday here, Jay was in Africa. There was no worship team or leader so what we did was listen to a CD and sang along with it in these, I'm sorry, they're ugly blue, yellow, or blue pews. I hated that blue. And then the carpet was that color. It's like, where, what are we, are we in the 60s? What has happened? I know, I know, right? I'm treading, I'm treading, I'm treading. They used to be new. They were not new when I got here. And the lights were on. There were no cool spotlights when the preacher took the stage. There was a CD out of this really terrible sound system. And not to mention the CD full of songs that I'd never heard of. They were old. There's no easy way to say it. They were old. Before my time, these songs. Very Baptist hymnal stuff. No idea what we were listening to. And in that moment, I recognized my worship was challenged. Because... I was used to the smoke, to the stage, to the dark room, to the glamour of my own worship to God. And I didn't know how to do it. And if you look across the stage right now at any organization with any kind of funds at all, I could tell you to a T how they worship. I could tell you on a Sunday what to expect. If you're going to a church of 2,000 people, I can tell you this is what it's going to look like. Everything is going to be the exact same. I have not ever been to a church besides this one that was any different than anything you can Google. All of them look the same. It's the same type. It's a dark room, fancy lights, 45 people on stage. And that's, that's not a bad thing. But... When it's 45 performers, it's a, it becomes a challenge. It becomes difficult. When there's, when there's manufactured emotion, that's the deal. When we add to 
what the Lord has given. We've got problems. And this, this culture exists in the church today. It's a worship culture, and I believe it is a false culture. I'm not saying that everybody that does it is not worshiping in spirit and truth, but I'm saying a lot of them are not worshiping in spirit and truth because in those same places, the spirit of God is not welcome. It was one of the greatest challenges to my faith when I first moved here. Jay was mentoring a group of worship pastors in Lubbock, and he asked them, if the Lord said not to sing or play a note as your offering of praise to me and your offering of worship to me, would you do it? And most of them are like, well, no, the, that, the Lord wouldn't ask that. It's like, well, then you've already missed what worship is. That is not what it is. What does it say? What did we just read in uh, Colossians? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns, spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts. Hebrews 13, 15. Through Him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. It's worship. The fruit of your lips acknowledging His name. Your life breathing in and breathing out. Given to Him. So is it is the reason that we as Christians are so uncomfortable with prayer and worship is because we are used to a manufactured culture of worship. That anything outside of that we don't really understand. And now looking at those in here, I'm going to say that's not it. Because all of you, for the most part, have grown up in here. We've not had that here. We've not had the the craziness. And the Lord has, in His grace, protected us in that. I mean, I'm telling you right now, He has protected us, and at the same time, He's also ruined us for other places. Because I've been to other churches, and I can't wait for worship to get over sometimes. It's just hard. Yeah, It's just hard. It's hard when the Spirit's not there, when there's a manufactured presence of God and not the real presence of God. It's a difficult thing. So is that partially to blame? Sure. Is it because we can only see certain people as capable of prayer and worship. That we can only see certain people as capable of praying out loud. We only see certain people as capable of praying over others. We only see certain people as capable of raising their hands and singing as loudly as they can or dancing at the front. We only see certain people as capable of that and this is the, the coined phrase in the Christian church, that's just not how I worship. When did your personal preference ever get mentioned in Scripture? I don't remember once David's personal preference being bought in when he was worshiping naked. Dance, I'm not saying we need to do any of that. But <laughs> he worshiped in freedom. And there was no preference attached to it. You cannot have the freedom of God if you have your preferences involved. You will have manufactured freedom. The illusion of. And not the actual thing. It's impossible. But mainly, these are all partially um, issues that, that tie into why we're so uncomfortable with prayer and worship. But mainly, prayer and worship. This is what the Lord has has brought to my attention over the last several weeks. 
They are a reflection of the depth of relationship. Prayer and worship is a reflection of the depth of relationship. They are a reflection of the level of honesty and vulnerability between that person and the Trinity. Period. If you're not vulnerable before before God, you can't pray in fullness. If you're not vulnerable before God, you won't worship in fullness. How is it possible to have the full freedom of God with partial vulnerability to Him? It's impossible. Right? I can't give Him some of me and not all of me and expect to get all of Him in return. It's not how that works. I can't access Him if I don't give Him all of me. It's just part of it. Prayer and worship. It is the heart's response, cry, pursuit, and display of affection towards its first love. I've been thinking about this since we talked about it this Sunday, returning to our first love, and just thinking about this reality of, okay, well, I know I didn't love God first. He loved me first. And I know in my life, I chose Him way later. I loved a lot of things, mainly myself, before I ever loved Him. But my heart and my identity, who he called me to be, has been with him since the dawn of time. And I believe in in heavenly places beyond what I can comprehend before I was born on this earth, I was with him and I loved him. I believe that. If I was found in him at the dawn of time, I believe I knew him and I loved him. And then I was brought here. But, so in that, it is our heart's first love. So why then, again... Are we so uncomfortable with prayer and worship? There is no intimacy or vulnerability with God. And that has been such a pondering point for me. Why is there no vulnerability with God? Why do we as Christians, why are we guarded against God? The only one who can't let us down, the only one who can't disappoint us, the only one that has a wonderful and perfect and glorious and beautiful plan for us that sends goodness after us, chasing after us all the days of our lives, that even in the midst of horrific tragedy, He would find a way to work it for my good. But I, no, I guard my heart from you. Why is that? That's a question I want us to begin to ponder because I think the answer is different for all of us. I think the primary answer before we move on, this is just kind of a side note, is we have spent too much time reasoning our experiences of man up to God instead of allowing the Holy Spirit to reveal down who God is in His nature. I take my experience with man and I say that's a reflection of Him. Now someone that doesn't know truth what does it say? What does it say in, in, in 1 Corinthians? We've talked about this. God making His appeal through us. So there's a natural step to see creation and allow that to reflect Creator. That was the original intent. That people would see us and they would see God because God was making His appeal through us. But they wouldn't see Parker, they'd see the Spirit of God living and dwelling in Parker. But as time has changed and we have not made that appeal accurately or clearly or in any way have we done it well, they reason that up, well, that's who God is. 
He's inconsistent. He's hypocritical. He's judgmental. He's not kind. He's not full of love. He's the first one to throw a stone. That's who God is. And we ourselves have believed that about God at some point in time. That his forgiveness isn't for me. That this freedom isn't for me. Because those that walk with the Lord didn't give any to me. So how can those that serve him be any different than him? That was my biggest thing. I read the, book, I read the pages too, the same book. And I'm like, I don't see this anywhere. So... It's got to be false. God making His appeal through us has been the issue, but we as, as believers here and now are to allow the Holy Spirit to reveal who God is to us instead of allowing our experiences with man to define who He is now. That's not it. Can't do that anymore. That's part of the issue. There's no intimacy and there's no vulnerability with God. Why are we uncomfortable? Psalm 63, this is a great level of uh, just a display of intimacy um, and relationship with God. This is a Psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judea. Psalm 63, verse 1, O God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water, so I have looked upon you in the sanctuary beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. There shall be a portion for jackals, but the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. The level of relationship that we read here, especially in those first few verses, my soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you. The level of relationship that we read right there would be described in present time as a radical relationship with God. We have, we have in religion, we have a radical level of every religion. But the thing about a walk with Jesus is there is no religion a part of it. It's, it's not a religion. It's a relationship. Religion is practice. Relationship is completely and totally different. It's not tied to law or legalism in any way, shape, or form. It's specific to each and every one of us. But in present time, specifically when it comes to prayer and worship, we would say things like that, that he's just radical. We, I've heard that term my whole life. I remember... In moments of worship, at my old parent, my not my old parents, they're still my new parents. Uh, they're my same parents. They're older. No offense if they're listening. Um, but at their old church, the church I went to high school and all that at, I remember worshiping one time after I I just found the Lord. Just I mean, I I had been saved for a long time, but just found the Spirit of God for myself. 
and my faith was finally my own, and I'm in college, and I'm worshiping, and I remember the pastor coming up to me afterwards and asking if I was okay. Like, man, I'm great. It's like, yeah, that just kind of got all over you, so I figured something was wrong. Like, just raising my hands. Since when did raising your hands mean that you had to have some crazy emotional thing going on in your life to praise God to that level? Because what was normal when everything is good is hands in the pocket singing the words on the screen. When did that become the norm? When we dismissed the Holy Spirit and tried to do something that the Holy Spirit was the only one that could show us and help us do. We don't know what to pray for as we ought. The Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. The Spirit, has to, the Spirit has to be the one to even show us what we're supposed to pray for. Because we can't do it in and of ourselves. When are we going to get the, the picture that if I could not bring my own salvation to pass, how am I going to do anything else on my own from this point on? If the very foundational level of my walk with Jesus that starts at salvation was done for me and not by me, how is anything else going to be done by me now? The foundation I stand upon was built for me, not by me. Everything else is is to be done for us and with us, not by us, including prayer and including worship. The only thing done by us is saying yes and choosing Jesus. Right? Arise and shine. Choosing to arise and take up Jesus. Choose the presence of God. That's the only thing done by me. Is that choice. But the second I choose it, it's Him. I just say yes and I'm along for the ride. It's so simple. But we've made it so very, very difficult. But this level of relationship that would be described as radical nowadays, that makes it something... That is for some, and this is such an issue right now. It is for some and not for others, and it is an issue in this church. And I'll say that boldly, and anybody that wants to argue with me, come on. It is an issue in this church. Explain. I'm, get, I'm getting there, don't worry. Therein lies so much the problem with this is that it is for them, it is not for me. And I'll ruffle feathers with this. I'm not saying that everyone is to dance. That's not what I'm saying. But I can tell the difference between genuine freedom of worship and just going with the motions in worship. And we have plenty that just go with the motions of worship. That worship is not their thing. Like that, no, that's not how that works. My dad was one of those people. He's not anymore, but he was one of those people. He was one of those people when he didn't have the Spirit of God in his life. When he got the Spirit, he was no longer one of those people where he would rather show up late to church so he didn't have to sit through all the worship. He could just get to the Word because that's where the Lord really spoke to him. Like The worship is not about the Lord speaking to you. It's about acknowledging the truth of Christ as we're instructed to do and praising God. And freedom Full freedom is not something that is experienced often in worship. I'm telling you right now, this is not full freedom. 
barely moving your lips. That's not it. It's not it at all. There is, and if you want to say, well, you don't know that, that they, they could be operating in freedom. Okay, fine. Where in Scripture is anyone worshiped God in that manner? I'm telling you, this is challenging. This is not easy for me to say either because I know this would offend many people. But show me where people withhold themselves and are not vulnerable in worship to God. And this is the biggest thing, the biggest check factor. How many of us have ever been in church and not risen our hands during worship? And this is not about raising hands, but this is like the most, this is the hot topic, right, that nobody wants to talk about. How many of us have been in church during worship and not ever risen our hands? Yeah, right? We've all done it. We've all been there. How many of us in those moments have done it from a level of, once I do that, I've become vulnerable, and so we've kept our hands in our pockets? Everyone. You know that feeling churning in your stomach when you choose not to be free. Prayer and worship are a reflection of relationship and vulnerability to God. And we have gotten really good it's staying unvulnerable, not being vulnerable before the Lord. And it hinders our walk. There is so much. I, you can't come into my house if I only crack the door open for you. We can have a conversation, but there's nothing open about it. And what you have to give cannot be offered through that crack in the door. Turmoil that we wrestle with difficulty, needing clarity in situations, all be washed away in a moment of vulnerability before the Lord. That doesn't mean a hand is automatically raised. That does, that's not what that's about. That's just a physical manifestation of what's happening in you. But true vulnerability wipes all those things. How many of us, another question, have been in worship and engaged fully in that worship, totally vulnerable. I didn't give a crap who was looking at me, what they were thinking about me. I was going to worship God. And you came in with stuff and you left not carrying that same stuff. I mean, come on. Every one of us. Every one of us. When we allow for the vulnerability and truth and we allow for a full engaging with God in prayer and worship. Things change and things happen because we're encountering what we're meant to encounter. And so to say, again, this thinking of that's a radical relationship. That's for them. That's not, that's not me. That's not how I pray. That's not how I worship. Oftentimes, the root of that is a cop-out. It is an absolute cop-out. It's an excuse so you can feel better about serving yourself and not your Creator. It's a way to stay guarded from the life God has for you. And any time we choose not to be open with God, we have chosen our own comfort. At the heart of most of those conversations that we have, it has been, I have chosen comfort over discomfort. Plain and simple. If the Lord told you to get up and dance, how many of you would just be fully comfortable with that? No, right. No, not a one. Not a one. We've, we've seen one person in this church that was comfortable with that. 
It isn't any of us. But that is the thing. I love this. This is pretty common with military. It's common with training, getting comfortable, being uncomfortable. We're not very good at that as Christians. But we are meant to be comfortable being uncomfortable. We were not made and built and equipped for a comfortable life. That we're in the world, not of it. And that, so that doesn't mean we don't have... I mean, how many of us sleep on beds when we go home? How many of us like those beds? I love my bed. I've got nice sheets. I sleep with three pillows. I'm a wealthy man. <laughs> right? Like, I love those things. Those comforts are great. To be comfortable living uncomfortably doesn't mean that we're just robbed of everything. Right? Uh, all these things are taken away from us uh, because we, we have been so convinced that choosing, the discom- choosing to be vulnerable with God, for some reason we are so convinced that what that means is if I choose this discomfort, I choose to be vulnerable, I choose to be completely open, I choose to fully engage God, He's going to have me sell everything I own. I'm going to have to live under a bridge. That's not it. Because here's another uncomfortable truth. He's not going to, one, He's not going to call you to do that. I have met one person in my life, and I've met thousands upon thousands of believers. I've met one person in my life who found the Lord and the Lord said to sell all your possessions and told him to leave. And he did. One person, he was an odd duck. Odd. So out of all these thousands of people, there was one that I could relate to like, this guy kind of lives like John the Baptist did. That was it. The Lord's not going to call you to do that. Honestly, just because you're vulnerable vulnerable with God doesn't mean necessarily that anything in your life is going to change as far as vocation, where you live, the people in your lives. That probably won't change at all. But here's the other challenging thing. We're just convinced that He's going to call me to sell everything and live in a forest, and He's not. He won't call you somewhere to bring change if you can't bring it right where you are now. We've got to remember that. He's not going to call me somewhere else if I can't do anything about where I am. It's not it. Take care first the house of Israel. If you, if the Lord is yours and you are His and there's complete vulnerability and there's depth of relationship, where you are now will be changed before He sends you anywhere else. That's like the men that we see this in the practice of religion that would abandon their families to go to more church services. We see this all the time. In the Bible Belt, I don't know how many people... I, I went to school, high school with a girl that refused to go to church because her dad was always at church. Like he never comes to my games, he never comes to anything because he's always at church, he's doing a Bible study, he's doing things like this. Was his house experiencing anything of what he was supposedly learning? No, not at all. Who should be the first to receive the change that the Lord does in me? My wife and kids. And then the places that I work, my friends, the people that I'm consistently around. 
And then the Lord calls us. He's not going to have us leave a place in brokenness that we've caused to go mend something else. So we need to get that out of our heads. The Lord desires your backyard to be healthy first before he calls you anywhere to take care of anybody else's. So just get that out of your head. I can be vulnerable to God, and just because I'm vulnerable to God doesn't mean that I'm going to get called to live in the bushes of Africa. You might, but I guarantee it's not going to come the second you become vulnerable to the Lord. It'll be a process. So we need to get that out of our heads. So much of this study is about teaching us how to engage with our God because we've just really been poorly instructed as a Christian culture on how to engage it with God in the simple things. Like right now, in the uncertainty of this time and everything that we've got going and the uncertainty of, of what tomorrow is going to look like, um, just the craziness of, I mean, Sarah does our grocery shopping and I'm grateful because we wouldn't eat very healthy if I did. Because uh, I'm always hungry. And they say never go to the store when you're hungry because you just buy crap. So that's, that's where I would thrive. Um, but she grow, she's growing so frustrated because many, as many of you will know, the portions are getting smaller while getting more expensive with cheaper ingredients. I mean, toilet paper. Toilet the gold of the pandemic because people are they need help I don't know why we thought toilet paper like over water I need toilet paper anyways moving on same package same brand same type held together it's like this is a third of the size of what I bought last time I was at the store and it's the same it's, the, it's more expensive. It's two, three dollars more expensive than this one, and it's less. Everything is like that. Everything is like medicines that now Americans are buying their pharmaceuticals from different countries. Pharmaceuticals that are manufactured here in America, and they're exported out to other countries, and Americans are buying them and importing them back in. Because it's cheaper than just buying them here. Whoa. There's something wrong there. There's a lot of corruption. There's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of things that we're looking at that were basic. We never thought of. We were never challenged to have to think of it. We, didn't, we, we never thought that we would go to our grocery store and see empty shelves of simple things. Not here. Not where we live. Not in my life. Right? And in times like this, what does the Lord so clearly say to do when you need clarity beyond the everyday things, beyond what you can simply see and understand for yourself? You need depth of understanding. What does he say? Pray and fast. How many of us do that? Myself included. We don't do that. We don't do it. And these were things that Jesus did in Jesus' perfect theology. Would anybody disagree with that? No, Jesus' perfect theology. But we skipped over the things that he does that are uncomfortable. 
Prayer and worship is a reflection of vulnerability to God. And my heart's desire is that we could have those that intercede and pray in this house powerful, powerful, powerful things. Pray for big things straight from the heart of God to our ears. Powerful things because the Lord is speaking them as they are speaking. He is putting words in their mouth as they open their lips. And that we would see in this house, I'm not worried about anywhere else, this house first, that we would see people worship in freedom. Complete freedom. I'm talking about the worship that there is not an ounce of bondage that can exist in this room because of the freedom that has been embraced. And because part of what comes with the culture of worship that we're having, that we're combating right now, that we're having an issue with, with all the lights and crazy stuff, is, is the manufactured responses as well. The raising of hands and the, it's becoming a trend. It's cool to do it now. Like that, no. I want the, I want, I want the Davids that are just so overcome by their love and relationship with God, that they just worship in a manner that you look at it and you're like, that's crazy, but it's free. I know it's free. And you tell me then, I would challenge you with this because I don't believe the world's ever seen it as a congregation of people. I don't believe the world's ever seen it and not seen immediate revival in communities where the Spirit broke out in such a way that they could not tangibly measure or understand what they were seeing, waters parting type stuff. You tell me if a people in this room worshipped like that in complete vulnerability to God and complete freedom overflowing in this deep and wonderful relationship with the Lord as they respond to Him, could anyone walk in here ill and leave ill? No. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And if He was fully 100% embraced by everyone that gathered in here, even if there was 10 of us, if one or ten lepers came in, I believe they would leave free. Not because we did anything, but because the Spirit of God had full permission to do everything. That's, that's my goal for us in this. That we would have such a depth of understanding on how to engage God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in prayer and worship. That we would have such a comfort and such, such a comfort being vulnerable. That, and this is the other thing with prayer. We are not very good at articulating the vulnerability of our heart and what the Lord has shown us that is written on our heart. We're not very good. These, our mouth and our heart are not very good at being connected nowadays. We've got these burnings and passions in our heart, but we don't ever pray them. We don't ever speak them out. We don't ever speak them over people. But they're there. The Lord has placed them there, but He didn't place them there for you to hold on to. He placed them there for you to release. That we would understand that connection. So in a lot of this, there is practical application that will take place on how we learn how to fully, as children of God, go back to the basics and learn how to engage our Father in fullness. Through the two things He meant for us to be so comfortable with, that they would be our immediate go-to our immediate go-to. And so that, that's, that's the goal in all of this. Operating in both with full and complete freedom, nothing withheld, no barriers, just freedom, and to be a people that operate, and here it really is, to just be a people that operate in the fullness of freedom. Randy said this when he was here. I don't know that I've ever seen it. 
And I agree, I don't know that I've ever seen it. Man, oh man, I want to see it. Like in my life, I want to see it in myself, in my family, my kids, and in the people I gather together with, I want to see it. And I don't want to see it in a handful of us. I want to see it everyone that walks through that door. I want to walk through that door in fullness of freedom like the world has never seen. That's the goal. But first we got to know how to crawl before we can begin to walk and before we can begin to run. We have to understand these things. We have to become, become comfortable with these things. Fasting right now seems like a daunting thing. Like, how do I do that? I don't even know. And just FYI, Fasting is not, and we'll talk about this, but this is a side note as you begin to process this for your own life. Social media is not a fast. Take, that's taking a break. I take a break from people all the time. I'm not fasting from them. I, if you think you're fasting from Facebook, you're not fasting from Facebook. If you have to describe it as that, you have an addiction and you need to just stop with Facebook altogether. If you think you need a fast from Facebook. You have an addiction. Just cut it out of your life. Fasting is the denying of the very thing that gives you life for who you believe to give you life in fullness. Jesus denied what the world said you need to survive because he is the only bread. He's the only thing I need. And he says this in response to the devil that he is all I need. It's denying the flesh that supernaturally you would be satisfied from the well that never runs out. That you would drink from it and you would not ever thirst again. Eat from it, you would never grow hungry. That, that's fasting. There's nothing of any evidence or any clarity that says it's anything but denying what gives you life. Food, drink, these things give you life. And denying them that he who you know is the true source of life would sustain you. Honey from the rock that will satisfy you. That's fasting. How many of us do this on a regular basis? We don't. I'm, I'm talking to me. I don't. I could not tell you the last time I fasted. It was out here at some point in time. I can't remember. So it's been years. That can't, that can't be. We, we can't expect, it's going back to the same conversation that we've had several times. We can't expect bigger things, greater things, greater degree of glory, more of the Lord than we've ever seen by doing the same we've always done. Right? We can't expect that. More of me is required for more of him. And if I want the fullness, I've got to give fully. Thanks for listening to this message. For more resources, visit sundownchurch.com.